0: Right, well, this time the kids missed a children's church. And if the rest of you will open your Bibles with me. did not bring a Bible. There is one in a pew bi- in a pew close to you. Uh, in our pew Bible, this morning's text is on page eight hundred and thirty six. So encourage you to open your Bibles with us together. As we open our Bibles together, hey, by the way, I found Pastor Nate's name tag. All right. It was I'm standing there singing and it's on the bottom of my shoe. <laughs> so he said, step on him, and I just I took him at his at his word, and uh, so I found him, all right, and so the book of Mark, we've been introducing this book, Jesus is seen in this book as a servant, he presents himself, although he is the king of kings, he is presented as a servant in this book, and as we've looked in the first part of the book, we see he's the son of God, we see that he is the beloved son of the father, we see that he's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, we see that he is God in the flesh. And as we've introduced that, as I think about the context of the book of Mark, and as Pastor Nate mentioned this morning, we're going to see the authority of Jesus. And authority is something that I trust that you're beginning to recognize as we look around us in our culture that authority is not a bad thing, that authority is a good thing. I mean, I, I, I look around us as I see all the things going on around us, and I really look at our culture is like this culture of a land of melting jello. When I say it's this land of melting jello, that there are bright colors, there are interesting shapes, there are things that are sweet, and yet everything around us seems to be squishy, sloppy, sticky, and messy. As we look culturally, we see this. There may be a sweet taste to what we experience in life, that there are good things that we enjoy, yet oftentimes and so often we're left empty and unsatisfied we see this squishy sloppy sticky mess we see that as we consider the state of politics in our nation if you spend any time on the news this week watching what was taking place in washington dc i'm trusting that you are just appalled at the manner in which things were conducted as we consider it in the realm of politics we also see that 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 in politicians that oftentimes they're deciding issues not based on facts but on desired outcomes and because I want something to happen a certain way, therefore I'm going to interpret it. I'm only going to listen to this much information. We determine our positions before we listen to the facts. We see this squishy, sticky, messy, messy sloppy mess also in our community. We see it in families. We see families in absolute disarray. Moms and dads not fulfilling their role, kids in rebellion, just a variety, the breakup of the family is happening so, so significantly. We see a squishy, sloppy understanding of the role of a husband and a wife in marriage. That as we see that, we see the nature of kids, that we see, well, what are, what are kids like? What are their essential nature? What does God tell us? And yet, what does our culture say? And all these competing ideas, and how do we have any foundation of this at all? Even the realm of the purpose of the family. It's squishy. It's like melting jello. There's no substance to it in our culture. This bleeds into the schools. It bleeds into schools where educators are called on not only to be teachers, but also social workers. And even in our interaction with our neighbors and people we pass in the store, those can become very messy because the slightest offense can be considered an unfor- unforgivable sin that we live in a culture that this squishy, messy, sloppy, sticky, jello-like world, that we need something that is firm. We need something that is substantive. We need someplace to plant our feet. We need something to know, to help us to know what's right, what's wrong, what is truth, rather than this sticky mess that we find ourselves in. And through our time together, I hope to convince you that we do have something like that. I want to convince you this morning that Jesus is what we need, that he is the authority, he is the truth, he is the one that we can trust to give us confidence, to give us security, to give us hope, and to give us satisfaction in the midst of a tumultuous culture. And as we begin to understand that, our text this morning is the book of Mark, chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 21. In verse 21, and And as we see this, this is uh, Jesus has been moving. What we've seen so far in the book of Mark is that John the Baptist has come on the scene preparing the way for Jesus. He shows up, prepares the way, and he's fulfilling these Old Testament promises of one who, like Elijah, would come. Jesus fulfills that. Jesus is baptized. He's baptized to identify himself with us. With the message of John the Baptist that people need to repent and to believe, and Jesus identifies Himself with that message, not because of His He's a sinner, but because He loves us. We see Jesus enduring temptation and following the temptation. He He is He is baptized. His baptism, where He is told that this is the this is My beloved Son. And so we see this as we walk through these first part of the book of Mark. And then Jesus comes onto the scene proclaiming, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And then we see in the verses 16 through 20, we see Jesus calling his first disciples. So that's where we've been in the book of Mark. And now, verse 21, it says, They, this would be Jesus, John, James, Andrew, and Peter, they went to Capernaum. And as we looked on our map a few weeks ago, this is in northern Israel. This is on one of the cities around the Sea of Galilee. So they went to Capernaum. It's a fishing city. And immediately on the Sabbath, okay, that tells us this is a Saturday. This is the holy day. He entered into the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. And he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came, and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were weak, sick or persecuted by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And this all takes place in Capernaum. And if we would look at the timeline of this, in many ways this is a day in the life of Jesus. It begins with him in the synagogue, probably earlier in the day. He goes to the mother-in-law of Peter, uh, go to Peter's house where his mother-in-law is there. If, like we go at church, after church we go to lunch, very possible it's what was going on. Then it talks about later in the evening what was happening, all the crowd at his door. And so we see this, this, this day in the life of Jesus. And we see them in this realm of uh, the city of Capernaum on the Sabbath day and he entered the synagogue synagogue is a place of, it would be like a a building where the Jewish people would gather for worship. It's different than the temple. The temple was in Jerusalem. But these synagogues were local places that actually were established back whenever the temple had been destroyed, back by the Babylonians. Uh, During that time, these synagogues popped up as places of worship. But even after the temple was rebuilt, they maintained this system of worship in these synagogues. And so they would go there and the Jews would gather there weekly and they'd go there weekly to hear teaching and pray and do things similar to what we would see in in a church. But it says this, they went to the synagogue and he was teaching. Jesus is recognized as a rabbi. We saw last week in John chapter 1 that Jesus was identified as a rabbi, which means teacher. So he shows up and they say, why don't you teach for us? So they give him this opportunity to teach, and verse 22 says, and they were astonished at his teaching. They were astonished at his teaching, for he had a." For he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So what we see here is Jesus. They're not so much amazed about what he's teaching with how he's teaching. What he was teaching was certainly profound and would have been wonderful. But what really caught their attention is he's teaching with authority. And he's teaching with authority because he is not referring like the scribes in their day. They would refer to, well, this teacher says this, this teacher says this, this teacher says this. All right, for those of you who are students, those of you who are in college or high school students, when you write a paper, your teachers really don't care about what you think about a topic. They want to know, can you do the research? And so they want you to note all your resources, all right? And that's kind of laborious. You know, it's not very fun. But they want to see this, so they want you writing all this because those other people give you authority. Right? They're the experts, they're the doctors, they're the PhDs, they're the scholars. And so you refer to them and that gives you credibility. Jesus didn't need to do that. Jesus didn't need to refer to anybody else to give him authority because he has all authority. If we would wonder what Jesus taught, we would probably find the t- kind of things he was teaching here in Mark were what we see in Matthew. And turn back to the book of Matthew with me. And I want you to see why it is that they likely understood that Jesus was teaching with authority, and it was so different from what they heard. So Matthew chapter 5, and and this is on page 810 in your pew Bible. Matthew chapter 5. This is in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's incredible teaching of Jesus. Best sermon you're ever going to hear. Far better than anything you'll ever hear here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Here's what Jesus would have been tell, teaching. He says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever will murder will be liable of judgment. And he's saying, so you've heard that. And listen to what he says. But verse 22. But I say to you, You've heard what others say, but I say to you that, whoever, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable of judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, murder's wrong. Jesus is saying, but I tell you, he raises the bar to the heart level. It's not just about physically killing somebody, but it goes to the heart. Hey, look in verse 27. He says, you have heard it said, okay?" so he's referring to others have said this, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, there's the authority, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is going beyond the act of adultery to the heart motive. And he is saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Look down in verse 31. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a a divorced woman commits adultery. So you've heard it said, but I say. And we see it again. Look on down a little more in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And what's the next verse say? But what? But I say, look in verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What's verse 39 say? But I say to you, verse 43, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But what? I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, here's just a Bible study tip. When you see something repeated over and over and over and over, you have heard it said, but I say. 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 Why all the repetition? Yeah, so you get it. What is Jesus saying? You've heard all this other stuff from others, but I'm telling you. And why is he telling us? And Mark picks it up because Jesus has all authority. The other authorities don't matter. He has all authority. And as we see this back in the book of Mark, as Jesus, as he is teaching this in verse 22 in Mark 1, and it says, and they were astonished by his teaching. The idea of astonished is that they are completely amazed. We would say it, they are blown away by his teaching. They, they just, they're astounded. They've never heard anything like this. People don't talk like this. And I will tell you, people don't talk like that in our culture either. Nobody. We don't hear people saying, but I say to you, we don't hear people making authoritative declarations in our culture. We've heard it. If you're watching the news this week, you heard people talking about my truth, her truth, his truth. Listen, truth has no modifiers. Truth does not have a modifier. If I look at my pants, they are khaki, and you can whatever color you want to say, but they are not blue. Okay, now we live in a culture that would say, well, if they're blue to you, they're blue. Listen, frankly, your truth doesn't matter because there is truth. And we see that in the context of the Word of God, that the that, that squishy, washy world that we live in, this, this all, everything's up for grabs, that there's no authority, it's just whatever you want to do, whatever your authority is, that we just we're, we're wash in that in our culture, and as we watch it unfold in our culture, we see a huge mess. It happens in our families. When there's no structure, no authority, everybody just does whatever they want to, everybody does whatever they please, everybody thinks, well, that's what, that would be great if everybody just did what they want. Until so you live it for a while and realize this is a train wreck, that everybody doing their own thing is not a good thing. We have a whole book of the Bible called the Book of Judges that talks about that and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. No king in Egypt. No truth. No absolute authority. And you read the book and you realize it is a train wreck. And we can look at that in our day as well. No authority. Everybody doing what they want. And we're suffering as a people because of it. As we see this, Jesus is coming onto the scene teaching with significant authority. He is helping us to understand that he has authority because he is god that's been established for us in this book he's the son of god he is the beloved son of the father that he is the lord we've seen that in this book and because that he has authority and we might say well so just because he says it why does that make him authority i mean i could say that i could say but i say to you and you're like well who are you what gives you that authority and if we're thinking that's that's fair so we let's read on so what happens? So in verse 22, Jesus teaching with authority. The people are blown away by that. And in verse 23, and it says, And immediately, that's our key word in the book of Mark, by the way. We see it all over the place. Mark chapter 1, verse 23. And immediately, so these people are blown away by the teaching. And right away, what happens? There was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. And, and, and it's interesting as we see this, this action unfolding, that Jesus and these people are being blown away by, like, whoa, he has authority. And you can start to see them begin to question, if he has authority like this, who is he? John the Baptist was talking about him as preparing the way for the Lord. And you can almost see these theological wheels start to turn in the people, and then instantly, that it's all interrupted. It's like we're right now, like in the middle of a preaching service and it's like really quiet and it's like ill intense and people are really paying attention and then somebody comes in the back door and starts saying crazy stuff. Would that kind of ruin the moment? It does. And as we see what's happening in this, it says and immediately when this is going on, in comes this person who speaks with an unclean spirit and is crying out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And I'm convinced that, that there are supernatural interruptions that happen all the time. If you are engaged in the ministry at all, if you are seeking to talk to people about Jesus, seeking to have spiritual conversations with others, if you're trying to help others to grow and change, if you're engaged in that, you know what I'm talking about. You're talking to somebody about Jesus, and, and, and they're like listening pretty intently. And their phone rings. Oh, well, it just—it happens. Well, if you do this long enough, you realize it always happens at that—that that, like most inconvenient time, or, or you're you're having a conversation with somebody and, and things are really intent, and then all of a sudden the, the baby starts crying. Distraction, distraction, distraction. And I think that often happens, that, that there are these supernatural, spiritual interruptions that the Satan does not want us listening. He does not want us to be thinking that, that Jesus is the Son of God. He has authority. I need to do something about it. And as a result of that, that these supernatural inter- interruptions show up. And so what we see so far, and I got behind on my slides. So catching up a little bit, I just realized we're behind. Jesus has an authoritative teacher. We got that. We also see that he is not like other teachers. He has authority. And then we see this, though. It stirs up spiritual opposition. He stirs up spiritual opposition. And we need to learn from this. Listen, there are kingdoms in conflict in our world. Jesus said earlier in this book, this chapter, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe that what we have going on in this church age is that the kingdom of light is breaking into the kingdom of darkness. And as Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel breaks in, there is opposition to that. Because these the demons in this, said, the, in this context says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And, and Jesus doesn't answer our question, but if he did, he would have said, Not yet. I'm going to, but not yet. I'm invading the kingdom, and it's already showing up, but it's not yet fully here. And and as they they communicate this, they call him Jesus of Nazareth, indicating that Jesus is fully man. They understand that, but also describing him as the Holy One of God, that Jesus is fully God, he is fully man. They understand this, and they're opposing him. And as they stand to oppose him, watch Jesus' response in verse 25. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. How was Jesus teaching? The people were amazed because Jesus was teaching with what? Authority. We have a demon-possessed man show up. Jesus speaks to the demon, and he speaks to him and says, Be silent and come out. I believe this is a very authoritative statement. Because what happens next in verse 26? And the unclean spirit convulsed him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. That this Jesus who has just been teaching and teaching with authority people are amazed theological wheels turning and thinking is this real is he really god does he have authority the interruption shows up interruption shows up and jesus responds and he says to the demon come out of him and this guy convulses probably has some sort of seizure or something all of a sudden the demon's gone and as we think the people were blown away at the teaching i think they're blown away now as well even more so that, that not only, because they say it down in, in verse, at, at the end of verse 27. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves. So, it's as though Jesus just did this, and everybody starts chattering to each other. They start looking at each other, and they're having this conversation. They say, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey Him. Whoa. They were already saying, whoa. It is teaching. Now they're saying, Whoa, in watching him perform this miracle. And what we see here is that in Jesus' teaching, it is accompanied by supernatural works to affirm the truthfulness of his word. Because we would say, Why should I believe what Jesus says? Why should I believe that he is an authority? And then we watch these supernatural works, and it's like, okay, I I get it. He does have authority. And when he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you what that means, we better listen. We better be paying attention. One of the things that's wonderful in this as well is that how did Jesus cast out this demon? He did it by simply speaking. By his word. He didn't have to do some magical incantation. He didn't have to burn incense. He didn't have to go through all that. He merely spoke and it obeyed. And as we see that, that is the power of God's Word. And we've seen that as we track through our Bibles. We've seen that since Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there's light. The Word of God is powerful. And we need to realize that, that as we talk about the Word of God that is powerful, the Bible is described as the Word of God. This book has power. It has the power to change lives. It has the power to transform us. It has the power to give us hope whenever we're hopeless. It has the power to give us courage whenever we're afraid. It has the the power to give us the ability to endure trials because it points us to a greater hope than we have today that we need to be people of the book. Not not because, as we said earlier, not because we, we worship this book, but because this book reveals to us the one we worship. It is truth. It has been verified through it. It verified through miracles. It has stood the test of time. This book is where we find life, the words of life. And I'm I'm burdened as a pastor because I believe that most of you here would affirm everything I just said. Everything I just said about it, most of you would agree with. So the next question is, so what are you doing with it? Are you reading it? Are you studying it? I mean, are you disciplining yourself to to let it shape your thinking? I mean, is is, is this shaping the way you respond to your spouse? Is this shaping the way that you're thinking about politics in our nation? Is, Is this shaping the way that you're dealing with conflict with somebody at work? It, it, are you are you spending time in god's word are you working hard to to get god's word in you are you, are you are you making any effort to try to memorize some of god's word do you have any kind of plan you just or just open it up and just read sometimes i encourage you discipline yourself this word is it's inspired, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is sufficient for everything we need for life and godliness, it is authoritative, it is necessary we need it to understand the mind of God. This book is a treasure for us. And we need to be people who are in this book, not just people who affirm the truthfulness of it, but are in it. Because it has all authority. It bears the weight of the authority Of God, well, back to the Book of Mark. As we see this, and we see these people, they're amazed at all this. As Jesus stirs up spiritual uh, opposition, we see that He demonstrates the power of His word. He demonstrated the power of word by speaking, and this demon comes out. This unclean spirit it comes out of Him when He does this. And in verse twenty-seven, it says that all the people are amazed. And in verse twenty-eight. At once, his fame spread everywhere. I mean, it's like a forest fire with dry kindling. It just takes off, and Jesus becomes wildly popular. His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. And what we see is that Jesus amazes those who understand. He amazes those who understand Well. We transition here from this idea of Jesus teaching with authority, being able to cast out a, out a demon. And we learn to verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue. So he's been teaching, teaching with authority, casting out a demon, comes out of there, and now they go, it says, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Okay, those are the four that he called up earlier in verses 16 to 20. And they go to this house. And again, in my my picture of Jesus' day, it's kind of like our day. And, you know, he goes to church in the morning. What do they do? They go to somebody's house for lunch, right? And so they're at lunch, and they get there. And it says in verse 30, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And, you know, laying ill, in our context, being ill with a fever is not a big deal, Right, you go to Walgreens, get some Tylenol or something, knock the fever down. You get some stuff, cold medicine, whatever. You go to the urgent care if it's really bad. They don't have any of that. Right, this is, health issues were much more serious in this time. And so she lays ill with a fever. And then it says, immediately, there's our key word again. Or you notice, immediately, immediately, immediately. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up, and her fever left her, and she began to serve them. In this, what we see is that Jesus in this, he's just not an authoritative teacher, but we also see that Jesus is a supernatural healer. He is a supernatural healer. And, and as we saw up when he cast out the demon earlier, he did it by his word, he spoke, and it left. What did Jesus do here? What did he say? Nothing. It says he doesn't say, it doesn't record any words that he says. And what we see in this is that Jesus, he is able to heal with a word or even without a word. He simply this, this, that Peter's mother-in-law is laying there sick and what does he do? He reaches and he simply grabs, takes her by the hand and raises her up and she's healed. She's healed at the touch of Jesus to give us again this picture of the power of, of jesus and as we see this jesus healing without a word as we recognize this understanding and peter james john and andrew they're watching all this we can't help but to think they're just blown away by this they've not seen this they haven't read the book of mark yet right they haven't read the other gospels they're not like oh, of course this is what jesus does they're being amazed by and they've watched him teach with authority, cast out a demon, and now they're seeing him raise Peter's mother-in-law from her sickness. Jesus does this without a word. And again, it's demonstrating to us that Jesus has authority, that we have a reason to be listening to him, to see him what he says. And so the verse 31 ends by saying, And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And I love that picture. She is healed, and what does she do? She starts serving. And this is probably a pastor's uh, taking liberty on the text, so the text may not, probably isn't teaching this, but I want to make a point. Okay? So here's the point What did she do? She served. When? After she was healed. Listen, I just want to make the point that when God saves you, he saves you to serve. When God heals you from your sin and your rebellion, He saves you to serve, to give of yourselves for others, to become a loving person who life's not all about you. And I wanted to say that because, I want to say that because we need to realize that we are a church family. And we are a church family. And to operate well, who does it require being involved? All of us at different ways and different avenues, that we have a lot of gifted people in our church who do an awful lot of ministry. And I am really thankful for that. And I'm also really thankful that there are people, whenever there's a need in our church and we're saying we need help, oftentimes there's many of the same people who are already doing a whole bunch of stuff who step up and say, well, I'll do that too. And I, and why I am burdened with that is because I know that there are, often, there are people here that, aren't doing much. That you come, and we're thankful that you're here. I mean, we're delighted we're that we are. We're thankful that you're here. We want to encourage you to be fed. But if you consider Eastside Baptist Church your church home, I want to encourage you to take on some responsibility of serving. We would love to help you understand how that might be, but to get you connected, but that will tie you in with a closer level with some of the church family. You'll get to know some people in a greater way. And then as a church, we can do more stuff. We can do more things. We can be engaged in more ministries because we're not just begging people to fill a church, children's church spot, or we just begging people to fill the nursery. And somebody that's already doing five other things is going to do that too, right? So I just, I just want to encourage you to make, consider how are you serving, and how might you serve additionally. Now, there's some of you don't hear anything I'm saying because some of you are saying, "Okay, I just need to do more." Some of you are already doing a million things. I'm not talking to you. Okay, So we see this. So I just head that up saying I'm not sure that's what the text teaches. Other parts of the Bible teaches that, but it's a burden on my heart, and I wanted to communicate it to you. Well, let's continue in our text. So they've been in synagogue in the morning. They've been at Peter's house. And now, verse 32 says, that evening at sundown. Okay, so now we're at the end of the day, all right? We're at the end of the day. And they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. Right? So his fame spreading earlier. He was teaching with authority earlier in the day. His fame is spreading like wildfire. The people know where he is. And so the house, there's crowding around the house at night. And it says, And that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And in this context we see that Jesus not only heals without a word, but we see Jesus also exercising his authority over demons and disease. And can you just imagine this? I mean, imagine you are you live next door to Peter, and you got word that Jesus is there, and you, you saw him come in, you've heard some of this, and you look out your window that night, what are you seeing? You're seeing just a multitudes of people outside of Peter's house, and you're thinking, "Man, what is going on?" And you're seeing people come in who, who are being carried in because they can't walk, and we see them walking out on their own. We see people coming on with diseases and, and maybe eye struggles or hearing problems, or, or they're lame or a variety of things, and they go into the house, they go into the house with all those ailments, and they come, they're fine. People that are possessed by demons, people with altered mental states because of what's going on, they come into the house, see Jesus, and they come out healed. They'd be blown away by that. We'd be blown away to realize who is this Jesus. And we would begin to understand that he is somebody much different than us. He's a powerful teacher an authoritative teacher. He is a supernatural healer. We would listen to the teachings and we'd begin to understand that he is God. As Jesus demonstrates his authority in this area, we would think about, we see that the people would be amazed at this. And he's casting out demons in verse 34 says, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. They knew who he was they know that Jesus is God in the flesh and Jesus isn't letting them speak. And, and we're going to see that in the next, tomorrow, next week in our passage as well, that Jesus is going to tell somebody, I don't want you to tell them what happened. And, and, and the question sometimes comes up, and we'll deal with that question next week, but this week we think, well, why doesn't he let the demons speak? And, and Pastor Nate hinted at it. He doesn't want his message entrusted to the enemy, but he also believes. I mean, think about this. Let's suppose that I'm at the Valero gas station on a Tuesday afternoon and I'm uh, filling up my car with gas and there's some guy sitting on the, uh, on, on the bench outside of the Valero and he starts saying, Hey, everybody, that's Pastor Steve. He's the best preacher in the town. And this guy's drunk or high. And he's like praising me and he's like saying, Man, he's a great, great pastor. How, how, do you think I'm like thrilled at that? How great of a pastor I am, the guy who's still a drunk is praising me. He, changed, he can change a life. He can make a huge difference in somebody's life. i think, like, dude, I don't think I need your testimony, right? And we see these demons. Who are they? They are the enemy of God, and Jesus doesn't want his message associated with them. Now, I would just, just pause there. If, if the drunks out there saying that to me, I would love to go sit and have a conversation with them and say, listen, you're saying some good things. Let's see some reality. Let's open up the word of God and see God change you so the people will believe your testimony. Okay? But we realize in this that he's saying he, they're not allowing them to speak because he wants his message to be communicated by him. His communicated, message communicated by his followers. That we're going to see as we look through Mark that Jesus is in control of everything. Everything, the timing of all that's happening, he's in charge. And He doesn't want the spiritual warfare to influence and to shape the unfolding of His message. And so we see this morning that Jesus is in charge. That Jesus, in our text this morning, we see Him as one who teaches with all authority. He is one who demonstrates that authority by casting out demons and casting out disease. We see Jesus demonstrating that He is someone that we can trust. And it would be my desire this morning that we would see that the authority of Jesus is something that would give us relief and it would give us hope and confidence. It would give us hope and confidence because we're surrounded by a warm, jello, squishy, sloppy, sticky, messy world. And in this world where everything's jiggling and nothing's solid, that we would know that the Word of God is solid that the truth and the testimony of Jesus is where our feet should be planted, that we can have our feet planted there on the one who is true. And we see Jesus come in with authority, and all of a sudden all the squishiness goes away in their stability. Everything that's gray becomes black and white. Everything that is this fuzzy land, well, what's right and what's wrong and what's right and what's wrong, and everybody determine that Jesus comes with authority and he speaks the truth. And as we come to Jesus, we find him giving us clarity, giving us hope, giving us confidence. When I was first saved, when I was a senior at Purdue, I remember having an argument with a friend named Luke uh, prior to that. And uh, we were talking about religion, and he had just gotten saved. And he was talking about how religion and i'm arguing with him that anything can be a religion that baseball can be a religion and what's right is wrong and anything can be right and i'm making all these arguments and things and he's patiently putting up with me rolling his eyes and thinking wicker you don't get it right and having those conversations a few months later god saves me god opens my eyes to his gospel and all of a sudden all this world that i saw as gray became very clear well, it became very dark and dim. It's like, well, you really can't know truth. You can't know anything. All that was lifted. The light had come in, and the right, wrong, truth, error, all became very clear. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does for us, because there is truth. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we confess it or not, there is truth, and there is one who is truth, and it is Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you this morning to plant your feet firmly in him that if you've never trusted jesus as your savior if you're trying to wrestle with this whole christianity thing and trying to understand where is authority what should i believe i would encourage you this morning to 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 think hard about is jesus who he says he is and if he is that you would turn from your sins and say jesus forgive me of my sins as we sang this morning you've died on the cross and rose from the dead to cleanse me so that i can be new and that you would be born again today I would pray for those of us who are believers that we would continue to have our feet grounded and planted. We live in a world that wants us to be people of jello, people of jello and shaped however the world says we should be shaped, that we would be people who are molded and shaped by the Word of God. That I pray that you would be committed to that committed to studying God's word, growing in God's word, being a man, a woman, a student of God, so that you know what's right, you know what's wrong, and you're able to rest. You're able to rest in knowing that there is a king who's in charge. As I watch the news, as I'm frustrated, as I get discouraged, that I can rest in knowing that our hope is not found in this world. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and because he is our hope that we would be people of joy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you love us. Lord, we thank you that you are an authority that we can trust. Lord, in a land that is squishy and a land that is messy and sticky, I pray that you would make us to be Lord, people who make a difference, people who are different. Lord, I do pray this morning if there's someone who's wrestling with this, that they would talk to the person they came with today or see me or or, or somebody they know here this morning before they leave, and, and I pray that you'd help them to come and trust you as their Savior. Lord, for those of us who know you, I pray that we would have a fresh commitment to be to your authority, submitting ourselves to your authority and living according to it. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to live according to your truth to be men, to be women, to be students of the Word of God, because we love you because of all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we dismiss here in just a moment, we have a few announcements uh, on the screen behind me. encourage you to check those out. Also, this is the last Sunday of Name Tag Month. And so, there are many of you uh, sat in different places this morning. I appreciate that. I would encourage you to look at name tags before you leave and learn somebody's name that you don't know. Even if somebody thinks, they've come to church here forever, I just don't know their name, today's your day. Go walk, say, hey, good to see you, and look and say, Steve. Right. So take advantage of that, spend a little engaging with one another depart. May God bless you.